Spurs win at the buzzer. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the great British Isles. We're back this week. Apologies for the absence last week. After four years, the flu got in the way of me being able to probably speak and not cough down the microphone. So still not fighting 100%, nor is this Houston Texans team. But we've got some safe hands to try and guide us through. If it makes some sense yesterday, and a first-time guest, I'd like to be joined by Sean Bajani. John, how you doing? Good. Uh, thanks so much for having me, man. And uh, I know the outcome wasn't what we all wanted to uh, see uh, in week three or two or one as they played some really close games to start this season. But uh, it's definitely good to be talking some ball and have some sort of normalcy in our life again. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's kind of weird because I, I, I was reflecting upon it this morning a little bit and I thought, well, this season was going to be about rookie, you know, younger player development storylines sort of interwoven into games you probably weren't going to win too many games. I think people got ahead of themselves, as every fan base does, and then reality slaps you in the face like it does again yesterday, and it has done each of the three of the first weeks. But I didn't think we, as a football team, considering how close we've come in these games, and predominantly that's been because of the opposition and their shortcomings and misgivings rather than anything we've done particularly, but I, I didn't think we'd come this far from winnable games coming out almost completely empty-handed if you if you don't count the tie yeah i'm uh i'm actually pretty impressed with the ability that they've had to stay in some games um to start this season and look three straight opportunities for davis mills in this offense to uh drive the field go down tie and or win a game in the first three weeks it's not been pretty not once not at all it's been pretty ugly uh, but they've had an opportunity to win games. And that, to me, is pretty incredible considering how putrid the offense has been, how predictable at times. Um, we talk about so much about the creativity of this Pep Hamilton offense. It's looked creative at times, but I think he's underutilizing some of his players um, and strengths and skill sets on this team so far. Um, and we're not seeing a full arsenal of it. I feel like. They're treating some of their younger players with kid gloves, so to speak. And by some of their players, I just maybe mean one Damian Pierce at running back because Derek Stingley, Jalen Petrie, you know, that secondary, which is a rookie class from this year as well. They're kind of out there and they're allowed to make some mistakes and they're going to learn from just game reps. Well, I'm trying to figure out, you know, as we navigate through the early half of the season, why they're not really letting Damian Pierce do the same when they don't have a number two running back even close to the same skill set that he's he's bringing in weaponry. Yeah, it's, I, and he didn't help himself fumbling twice yesterday. Um, and I, I think that's the trouble. But yeah, I suppose it's a strange kind of set up of a team because it felt like, this, or they certainly made the soundings that they tried to forge an identity, they would try and run the ball. Um, but when you're trying to run the ball with only, well, not an, not a single established quality reps, quality tape running back in this league, you don't have one because your main guy's a rookie. It kind of feels a bit disjointed. I think we've kind of seen in the in the way in which they've slipped away in games that were very winnable. I think you'd almost seen that disjointedness that they certainly wouldn't have met in terms of the team, in terms of front offs, in terms of coaching staff. You know, they obviously want to put out positive soundings, but I think there's been a lot of disjointed parts of it, no more so particularly offense. Because if I asked you, Sean, that the the Texans or strengths or their or their their main selling point this season is what? And I don't know the answer. Their main selling point this season, you're saying? Yeah. What's their strength? What what's their game based on? Oh, They'll tell you the running game. It, yeah. For this team, their, yeah. their strength is clearly their defense. It and and really that's kind of been the case um I would say since training camp you know it was easy to see i've been out there every single day watch these guys in practice and that's been very evident from the way that they talk the way that they look the vibe in the locker room um just the vibe from the players on either side of the ball it's clearly the defense and look i know the run defense hasn't been pretty in fact it's been it's been um not good okay however when you are unable to move the ball, okay, and sustain drives. 
you know, your defense is out on the field quite a bit. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll give them a little bit of that. But I will just say this. Their linebacker core, and you can't really say the guys up front. I know Roy Lopez is a second-year player, and Kurt Heinisch, who didn't play yesterday, is an undrafted rookie. But they've got some veterans, you know, on that defensive front, okay, guys that have been there kind of done that before. But when you go look at Kame Grugier-Hill, who was a tackling machine last year for the Texans, um, and this year he's a little banged up, but certainly – the missed tackles by the linebacker core, they've leaked into the secondary. You've got Jonathan Owens and Jalen Petrie um, kind of cleaning those things up for you up the middle in the box and some of those plays that have broken through. So I think that's the problem with the linebacker core right now is just the missed tackle. Somebody asked me the other day, it's like, hey, man, do you think these guys just need to simply hit the weights? Like, what's going on? And it's like, I really don't think so. Like, it's not a question of, hey, this guy's bigger than me. And, you know, just no. This team is made up of journeymen and young players, okay? And some of those journeymen, just some of them, because there's some really good players on this team that I think can be a factor in the next two or three years when they're actually very supposed to be very competitive. I just think there are some guys on this team that are just that, just another guy. And we're looking for almost perfection in tackling, perfection in play calling, perfection in throws and catches and runs and yards after the catch. You got to remember who you're watching here. You're watching a team that is coming off a back-to-back four-win season. Last year wasn't the first year of a rebuild. It was the last year of a teardown. And now you've got fresh blood, new thinking, new meat in the locker room. You got to figure out a way to make that taste good (laughs) this year. And three straight games competitive with an opportunity to go win out of the gate to start the season – I got to tell you, if they played every single game of the season like this and lost them all, I would be ecstatic because they're competitive, they're entertaining, and they weren't supposed to be either one of those two things. Yeah, and I think certainly on the defensive side of the ball, I suppose from a developmental viewpoint, you can stomach that because ultimately, you know, part of your development as a defensive player will to be unsuccessful. Uh, missed tackles, you like, you like you said, Jonathan Owens isn't a starting safety caliber safety in this league, but he's certainly putting his body in there. He's missing tackles, but he's making a lot. But like you were saying, I think that the amount of tackles, I think it's just the amount of traffic that is getting through the front seven. Um, I think you know, for me, Lopez not done as well this year, which is a shame to see. I think he's just not able to disengage with blocks. Malik Collins has been particularly quiet, so that front two defensive tackle tandem whether it's been the ones and even and even worse so at times the twos with Michael Dwan for I think they just can't stop the run and even when they try and come and come down bring extra men in the box it's it makes no difference and I think you know 270 or 280 yards it was for the Bears yesterday on the ground which is just inexcusable at any level um is difficult when that is the strength, like you said, Sean, and I do agree with you, that is the strength of your team and it's it's the it's got a better mix of veterans and some aspiring young players. But when when you're so structurally flawed like that, um it's going to be tough sledding. And I think if you'd have played against a team who could throw a bit, um, because certainly Justin Fields uh, gave you a good reminder of certainly some of the shortcomings in terms of the passing game. But um, if you'd played against other teams yesterday with that level of breakdown in the run game, I think you would have, you know, the score probably would have been a lot uh, far separated than it, than it was um, right until the end of the fourth quarter there. But so in terms of the, the defensive pluses, I think if we try and take away the plus, because I don't think there's many on offense and we'll probably spend the majority of the time talking about that. But I thought for me, Jalen Petrie, two interceptions, gets a sack um, on Justin Fields late in the game. He did a lot to try and keep this team in it. Um, and I, I think p- perhaps he was probably the standout for the Texans yesterday. Certainly from the stat column, he's still missing tackles, still gets a bit heavy, um, plays like he's about 30 pounds heavier at times, and that just continues to worry me. But he looks like a playmaker, and it's great to see that coming to fruition. He looks like he definitely belongs. Definitely belongs. And you could kind of tell that in the preseason. You got a little glimpse, but you never know if it's like a guy just kind of flashing, because we see that all the time, you know. I mean, um, Okoronkwo looked like an absolute beast in the preseason. And we're like, holy smokes, if this guy can bring the pass rush like that during the regular season, you better look out. And where's he been? You know, but Petrie, Petrie, you can tell. Um, in every game that he's played, weeks one, two, and then yesterday's three, he's just gotten better and more physical and more involved. Um, you know, yesterday with the two interceptions, a couple of sacks, two passes defensed, uh, eight tackles, five solo. 
He was all over the place. I mean, they needed him to be. I mean, my gosh, if he wasn't, you know, putting his hat in there in, in the second level on some of those runs by Montgomery and uh, Herbert, then I don't know what their total would have been yesterday. I, I don't, if he's not picking those two passes off from Fields, I don't know what his total is scampering yesterday because Fields was able to, in some obvious passing downs, tuck the ball down, pull it, and just go run. They ran so many times, the Chicago Bears did, in obvious passing downs yesterday. It was just kind of scary. And I really thought that they were going to look to test the Texans' young secondary, as Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson did uh, in weeks one and two. Fields did, obviously, a little bit, you know, and with the two picks. but And those are some bad throws. Uh, one that he made to uh, Cole Met, and I can't remember the other. Um, I think it was uh, – uh, I can't remember the other receiver's name. Moon, Moonley, Mooney, I think it was. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, look, both of those were very, you know, poor throws uh, on, on Justin Fields' part, and Petrie was there to clean them up. But I, 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 I really kind of put an emphasis on predictability, and that's what we've talked so much about with the Texans offensively. And I think the Bears are so good on the run game that they said, hey, we're supposed to pass here, but we're going to run here. And they let you know that very early on in the game yesterday. And they didn't care if it was second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. We're going to run it right down your throat because you can't stop us. Second and 10, third and long, doesn't matter. David Montgomery will get it. Okay. Bear will get it. Okay. Ebner will get it. It doesn't matter. Fields will pull it and he'll go get it himself. And that's what you got to fix if you're the Texans defense. But Petrie's performance yesterday, they can learn a thing or two from him. Because he doesn't give up. He finished that game. He put his hat in there on every single play. And the way that he talked after the game yesterday, where it was like, eh, it's a stepping stone. You know, it's just that we didn't win today. And next week, I want to go win and I want to go play better and I want to get more. That's the mentality that you want every single one of those young players to have. And he's the leader of the forefront there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think he he comes across like that in these interviews as well. And I think we just need more of these guys come and step up. I don't think it wasn't really a game for Stingley yesterday in the run game. Um, certainly wasn't tested, like you said. Um, but the the physicality up front, I think, is what what concerns you know us the most. I think in terms of stopping this run, if, if that's something we can't address, whether it's schematically, whether it's bringing extra men up to the line or something. But you know, every team watching that from here on out is going to say, well, let's just keep running it until uh, until they can't. And I think if the more teams do that, because Denver let us off with one, really, because if they kept, kept going, um, I think, again, the score would have been very different. Um, well, somewhat different if you watched any other game last night. Um, but I think, you know, I think there, there's, there's a blueprint there and a very clear one and a very kind of rudimentary one, if you like, to go and really bully this team up front. And I don't know where the answers come from, Sean, to be honest. Well, you, you, you make an interesting point. You know, there's there's teams that are going to be looking at – you have three weeks of scout film now, okay? They're going to look back and see where the holes are, where they're able to exploit the Texans um, defensively, in particular in the run. Well, you look at the upcoming schedule, um, and I just glanced at it yesterday. Um, if you've got it in front of you, obviously they get the Chargers next week. Their run game, not very good. They're banged up. They got blown to pieces yesterday by the Jacksonville Jaguars too. You know, so like – Pretty three quick strikes there, um, you know, against the Chargers heading into a week four game against the Texans that if you're a Texan fan, you kind of, you know, you're kind of side-eyeing that a little bit. You're like, eh, that's not looking too bad. You know, maybe we got another chance here at getting a win. You do. Um, but over the course of the next two or three weeks, as what we've seen from teams so far to start this season, run games for them, not good. Texans run defense for themselves, not good. So what gives? That was a question I kind of asked yesterday going into the Bears game. And, you know, hey, look, emerging Damian Pierce, he's running really well. And the Bears, David Montgomery, he was running the ball really well. You know, what kind of gives? Whose run defense is going to break and bend, uh, you know, first? Obviously, it was the Texans. They decided to do more through the air than that of the Bears, vice versa. I think it's going to be very interesting we're going to learn a lot more about this football team but every football team over the course of the next two to three weeks and see exactly then what your real strength and weaknesses are. Um, right now, I'm 
pretty confident in saying that all season long, your strength on this team will be your defense so long as your key pieces stay healthy and Stingley and Petrie and Owens. But most importantly, you know, your guys up front in that pass rush, Jerry Hughes has been a massive disruptor for the Texans to start this season and has forced quarterbacks out of the pocket, did fields a number of times yesterday, Christian Kirksey, Kami Gurjay Hill. I mean, the pressure's coming from different places all over the place. Jonathan Grenard's another one, uh, you know, who created a lot of disruption in the backfield, missed some more opportunities yesterday in the mm-hmm. games. Those are the missed tackles, but you're going to figure out who this team really is in the next two or three weeks, but just don't fall asleep. Don't be surprised is what I'm saying. If the Texans run defense, you know, it looks like the 85 bears um, in the next couple of weeks because of the lesser opponents and what they're, who they're playing. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose there's that. And then the Jags before the, uh, before the bye week. Um, and in, in terms of, we'll just round up on the defense. I think, yeah, I think it's certainly, you know, the, the pressure up front, I think has been a, a, a pleasant surprise. Jerry used particularly what 33, being able to get pressure consistently has been has been reasonable. I mean, five sacks yesterday. I think you can't really ask for more than that in the defense. I think, um, but there's an element of your defense is only as good as the limited snaps you put it out there for, um, and you could have the you know the 2011 2012 Texans vintage in it. It would probably struggle um, and may keep the points tally down a little bit more than it has done, Sean. But I think the the big issue and the thing that we probably can't get away from and probably everybody's wanting to let listen let's talk about is. The offense. Um, where, before we get to t- too much specifics, where do you think the the fault lies for this offense? Why does it why does it look reasonable at times, and then fade so badly? Um, and what do you think the consistency and the fluency that just simply isn't there? Uh, what do you attribute that to? It's it's you can't put one finger on one thing. You know, yeah. uh, we, we talked to Lovey Smith about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. The media has an opportunity on Fridays to have a conversation that is, you know, off the record, but it's not really. He just he's a little bit more frank with us. Um, and we asked him particularly about the offense's struggles and the lack of chemistry in the past game. What's going on with Mills and Nico Collins, who was seemingly non-existent from the game yesterday? I mean, I, 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 I he he got four targets and two catches. Uh, you know, the last check with maybe a series or two left in the game yesterday, and I'm like, really? When? <laughs> I, I didn't notice it, and I say that because, you know, when you when you talk about um, continuity between. Mills and his receivers, anybody named outside of Brandon Cooks, but in particular, Nico Collins, he's supposed to be stepping up and a legitimate number two weapon for the Texans this year. Year two for both of those guys. They've got a year under their belt. They spent a lot of time together in the offseason, went up to Oregon with a, a team building activity and everything was sounding really good. And they're doing this, that and the other thing. And Nico looks like he's working really hard every single day in practice and working on his hands and it's just not happening play call wise either. Lovey Smith said, well, if you ask Nico Collins, what do you think he would tell you? And he said, well, he's just not doing a good job of getting open. If you ask David Mills, what do you think he would tell you? Well, he's just not throwing Nico Collins open. And if you ask Pat Hamilton, what's going on with the offense? Well, I'm not calling, you know, good enough plays in the place to get these guys open. That's what's happening. It's the play calling. It's the playmaking ability from Davis Mills and these receivers, but it's also the decision-making. I can't stress enough how I understand you're a rookie if you're Damian Pierce, but he's done some really good things and been really impressive. And his carries have incrementally gone up the first three games, 20 carries yesterday for 80 yards. That's really good production. Second half, not so much. He was six for 18. Um, The Bears obviously started to key in on that. But what did the Texans do? You know, in obvious passing situations, they were passing the ball. They were not utilizing one of their best weapons offensively out of the backfield as a pass catcher in Damian Pierce. There was no deception. There was no motion. They decided to go with passing in obvious passing situations and check down numerous times to Rex Burkhead, 
who, when he's in the game, you know that's exactly what they're going to do. So it's predictability. It's lack of deception. It's lack of motion and creativity in important times. And balanced lines, you can look at all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, when you're not making the defense think for one millisecond, ah, is this runner pass? Where's this guy going? You know, uh, are we balanced up? You know, do we need to make a, 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 a right, right, right call, a left, left, left call? What do we need to do? If you're not making them think for one second, then you're losing that snap every single time. You're not doing your job. There was two plays, just to touch on a couple of points you picked up. There was two plays, both in the red zone. I think in the totality, we ended up with three points out of those two trips. The first one was after the Jalen Petrie interception, go down there. Nico's lined up one-on-one on the outside, the left-hand side of your screen, isolated against the defensive back. And there's a single safety floating, Eddie Jackson, who ultimately Mills decides to throw the ball into traffic, bounces off somebody's helmet, and Jackson intercepts it. Zero points of a turnover, which this team is not in a position to be able to do. You, this team, if they get a turnover, they have to score points. You just you have to, you know, you have to cash in that momentum. And then a second play in the red in the red zone. Uh, I think it was the final trip um, they took in the, just at the end of the third quarter. Didn't get back there again. And they try and isolate Rex Burkhead against Joe Thomas, which I believe is the same Joe Thomas that was here last year. In space, can't beat him to the pylon, gets tackled, end up kicking three. So if your third down back can't beat a journeyman guy who wasn't even good enough for your squad in a one-on-one isolated matchup, he's not fit for the role. Um, and just like in the, the first play that I mentioned there, if Davis Mills can't, Size up Nico Collins, I think that's a good matchup. Let's go and try it. Outside fade, put it up there, see what he's got for one of the plays, because they still had another down to go after that. It just feels like, yeah, you know, I asked that earlier, what do you think the one thing is? And obviously it's a myriad of, of issues and problems, but from the quarterback's decision making to the utilization of the of the skill position guys or the lack of talent in some of the <clears> cases, um, and the and the way those guys are being schemed up, it's just a fucking terrible mess right now. And it's really tough to watch. And I think yesterday was one of the times you just thought, you know, I can I can understand why people would turn this off or stick the red zone on because as the game got on it just on those last couple of drives it just you it never at any point Sean when they got the ball set did I think late on is this team going to go and put a drive together and win the game here for us when it's sitting at 20 all? yeah I mean that's that's a really good point you know I, I asked uh, Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton and Davis Mills actually all three of them this last week about the fourth quarter struggles in particular inside two minutes opportunity to go down tie and win a game late clutch moments and, you know, I didn't I didn't really put too much emphasis on their on their responses because I started thinking to myself, you know, in in all of those questions, we well, are not doing it, you know, in the first 52 minutes of the ball game. you know, never mind, you know, crunch time, you know, the last, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes inside two minutes. You're not if you're not doing it during the rest of the ball game, your third down conversion rate has been putrid. Um, Mills has not been able to make the simple throws. He hasn't had all the time in the world to go through his progressions, so he'll panic and throw a check down. Your check downs should be wide open. Your check down is usually your running back, running somewhere in the flat in the short to intermediate passing area, right? That last line of hope, you need to get the ball out. And so many times, like, Rex Burkhead is covered. Damian Pierce is covered. That shouldn't happen. So what is that telling you? That's telling you Davis Mills has had, I believe, and I don't know the numbers from yesterday, but I think he said the seventh and eighth fewest or shortest amount of time to get rid of a football. Okay? So there's a reason why those guys are covered in in the flats and and, in the short routes. Because you're not able to finish your progression through your receivers. They're not able to finish their routes. You're just having to kind of panic and get a ball out. And it's a problem with the offense's concept. It's a problem with the protection. It's a problem with a quarterback that doesn't know how to manipulate the pocket. How many times have you seen Davis Mills step up in the pocket and really lean into a throw? How many times have you seen Davis Mills 
you know, move around. A pop- no, he gets those happy feet and <laughs> boom, got to get it out. And look, I, I don't want to kill the guy for that because yesterday against the Bears on the road at Soldier Field was his 14th NFL start. That's the same exact amount of games that the guy played his entire college career in a shortened six or seven game, uh, you know, final season at Stanford in 2020 when COVID was screwing everything up. I mean, the guys had a a hell of a run, you know, um, like so many other players. And not everybody has that clutch gene. Not everybody can just come right in and and snap to it and you look like you belong. But I also don't think it's completely fair at all to say Davis Mills doesn't belong. I think the sample size is too small. And I, I think the NFL and football in general, man, it's, it's about right time, right place, right situation. And unfortunately for Davis Mills, and sometimes if you're in the wrong, either one of those three to start a career and you're so young, you can be broken. Okay, and I hope that's not the case for Davis Mills, but I think I almost get the feeling like he's in the wrong offense because I kind of like what Pep's doing. I just think it'd be better if you had a more confident, more slightly athletic quarterback to do things and having a better skill set of receivers, too, would would certainly make things a little easier for Davis Mills. Yeah, I think I think for me, I think you know, and I've never at any point subscribed to. I think Davis Mills would be the answer. I think you can tell pretty quickly, regardless of experience, regardless you you know, certain guys have just got it, and I've never at any point watched them and gone, yeah, that's just you know, that's what, there's been a couple of little flashes here and there, but I, I and I always go back and a lot of people disagree with me on this, Sean, but I, I find the five five game at the end of last season a bit of a romantic notion. I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't really watch those games and think. You know, particularly the San Francisco game, you look at the good barometer of quality opposition, couldn't move the ball. And you could move the ball against a team that had the most injuries in the league in Tennessee Titans for only two quarters. And you could move the ball against a team that had all their players out from injury and no pass rush and had a linebacker standing up on the end of a four-man front. So, of course, you were going to have success that day when Rex Burkhead rushes for a career high. So when you take those contexts, you think, okay, well, actually, has he done it against anybody good? No. Has he ever done it for four quarters? No. Has he ever won you a game or even looked like winning you a game from the jaws of defeat absolutely not I mean it's so far away from that right now so look at it and everybody wants him to succeed and 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 if he did this would change this team's trajectory in terms of team building but he just looks so far off the pace of where you need to be but the problem is it's unfair on him as you said because he's not in many starts the expectations from some people were just ludicrous based on what he's done um, but then you've also got to have the wider context of how good this AFC is, and if they're not an instant, don't you know can can kick the doors and not necessarily from season one, but unless you've got something special, you're always going to be in the outside looking in. And if you know if you're not necessarily going to go and compete for championships in the AFC, why why are you wasting the time? Now that's not to say he can't get better and do things and, and change the way he plays and be a better team around him. Absolutely, could he be? But I think you know. Can he transcend or does he need people to pull him along? And he's definitely not a guy who can transcend lesser talent because you've seen that this year. But I I, 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 I struggle though because everybody was excited for a new offense, fresh, different, Tim Kelly, get the, the old Bill O'Brien playback out. But in that context with Pep Hamilton, I, I struggle to put, apart from confidence, Sean, what's been, the, what's been at the core of his regression this year, Davis Mills? The core Mills' regression, you know, from from a personal standpoint, like I think he would probably tell you that he's not making the same throws that he made last year. You know, some of those sideline throws, the the shorter intermediate um, throws. I, I think that would tell you that, hey, you know, it's I need to make more plays. And, and he said as much. Um, aside from that, you know, if we're looking at this outside looking in, the the core of his issue is, I think, just a bad situation. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, because there's times, you know, yesterday, um, hi, Philip Dorsett, good to see you. Where have you been? 
Mills throws a freaking laser his way down the right sideline, and it was a great catch. Boom, toe tap by Dorsett. Yeah. And, like, hey, did, you didn't make that throw once at all last week, and you looked pretty mm, earlier when you tried to find Cooks and you airmailed him in that same situation. It's those things. But Dorsett is a freaking athlete. The guy just gets open. Okay, that's why you, you brought him here. And I, I I almost think Pep Hamilton, you know, is just – let me put it to you this way. Before before the season started, we had a, many conversations about, all right, yeah, Davis Mills, numbers, you know, they can look a little inflated last year. And everybody was talking about the quarterback rating, and efficiency, the last five games. And he went, you know, two and three. And you can manipulate those things to look how you want them to look. Best red zone quarterback rating in the yeah. NFL. I stop it. You know, like that's almost like in Major League Baseball, like, hey, he's got, uh, you know, the the most strikeout. He's got the best strikeout to walk ratio in a minimum of 100 innings pitched. Ah, what's the minimum for Davis Mills and red zone attempts? Because he's right there. They don't go to the red zone. They're terrible. So I look, I, I don't care about those numbers. It, is Davis Mills in a position to succeed? And so many times people want to talk about, oh, well, receivers and, you know, look at those weapons. Like, no, he's not. Exactly. No, he's not. He didn't have anybody besides Brandon Cooks. And ah, you get this brand new shiny toy that you don't want to scratch up too much and you don't really trust a whole lot in Damian Pierce. Well, when that's your problem, you're also not putting Davis Mills in a position to succeed when you cannot keep consistent offensive line together. Justin Britt, I know he's go, going through some things. It's not his fault. You know, uh, Questenberry gets banged up yesterday within the first few plays, and you can't even hold on, grasp, hold on to that, that notion that, hey, for the first time since week four of the 2021 season, the Texans have been able to start the same offensive line in back-to-back games. It's been that long, and then boom, no Questenberry. Put in Jimmy Morrissey, and he looks completely lost on some combo run games, outside zone stuff where Green's still, you know, needing to pull. He makes just egregious mistakes instead of playing football at the end of the day. You know, you can get out leveraged, but you better put your mitts on somebody. Well, he got out leveraged and didn't touch anybody so many times yesterday in run blocking situations that. I just, what what are we doing here? You, you got elevated to the active roster from the practice squad. What are you doing on the practice squad? How is, and those are the frustrating things is that's not putting Davis Mills in the position to succeed. So that's what I think is at the core of his issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always sit and grind all 22 every week just for my, my, my own don't know what you would describe it as, but I certainly would have looked at the last two, and obviously it's not out yet for this week. But I keep seeing that, and everyone's saying, no, the receivers aren't open, but certainly from the plays where Mills has either sailed the ball or incompletions, it was, was it a fact that there was five guys in the, in the route if you got, you know, set a five-wide set? Are they all open? No, they're not, but no, no team is. But there's definitely a lot of times where he just makes the wrong decision and doesn't understand the coverage doesn't let it develop. And you, you saw that no more so than that interception that killed the game yesterday right to Ro- Roquan Smith. When you watch it from the, the camera ang- angle behind behind the end zone, Nico Collins is coming free. He just doesn't he just doesn't let the play develop, doesn't recognise the play, airmails it to the, the fact that a linebacker who's, what, 260, I think, Roquan Smith, can take four steps, read the ball, and then beat your running back to the ball um, when Nico Collins is coming uncovered because it's a zone look across the thing, across the formation, and he'd be wide open, and you're still on the field. And don't get me wrong; they weren't moving the ball well at that point. It didn't look like they were going to score. They miraculously managed to kill time off the clock when they still had two timeouts. 
but I think his reading of the game for whatever from from my point of view from just from the all 22 in the last couple of weeks Sean I'm keen to look at this one because everybody says oh the offensive line isn't great and it isn't great but ultimately if you get the ball out quick and you understand the coverage you understand where the where the holes are going to be then you can drop the ball in there and you might get a six yard completion but it's better than a you know hitting the uh, the person in the first first row dropping a ball in their popcorn because that's about the time every time it tries to go into the sideline that's basically what's happened so far this year so I think people don't respect his deep ball because he's just not shown it there's not been any completions the 10 to 20 yard range is just almost looks like he just can't do it for whatever reason um, beyond a couple of big strikes here and there but I think his reading of the game and his reading of coverages and his reading of his receivers and being on the same page just hasn't been there um, so I think that's a big part of it and I, 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 I don't know where that comes from because at times last year it was good but you know you've got Philip Dorsett there like you said he took less snaps than Jordan Aitkins yesterday so the I think for all the all the utilization of the the you know okay you've got a limited assets but they are sure as hell not being sweated in an appropriate way by Pep to get maximum value and I think whether that's in formations whether that's in uh, whether that's in just matchups alone I, I think it <clears throat> it epitomized itself yesterday for me Sean the the play before Jordan Aitkins scored the touchdown who actually looked more athletic and more like an NFL-level type threat than a lot of our guys, to be honest, which I think says a lot about the quality we've got. But he catches that pass. But the play before that, they've got a three-tight-end a, a three three personnel set on the field. Philip Dorsett, one of his 13 snaps, sitting out alone. Play gets blown up. Then it gets to a, three and one, a third and one uh, in the third quarter when they kicked that field goal. Well, that was the play where four Bears tackled Damian Pierce in the backfield. Exact same formation, already seen it, didn't work. They, all they did was shift it to the other side. You know, easy, 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 simple stuff for a defensive coordinator at this level. And I, so I think the the big part that people and, and that will have to reflect upon this week, and I hope, you know, I'm sure Lovey and other people will be helping him with that, but I think the fact Pep needs to be able to find a way to find stuff that works, but then also when stuff doesn't work, Let's not be scared to go and try, you know, let's go and try and move in, in different directions because you've seen that the last couple of weeks, third and short, third down calls, when when the play's on the line, when the focus is on, when it's not just your average first down where you can get a bit more loose, you know, people are just in base coverage and there's, there's two or three options to you, but when it's something really specific and you've got to go and have the play, this offense is not look prepared, it's not look to use the, the players on this roster in any way that's shape or form that's effective and I think for Pep, I think that's going to be his biggest disappointment to this, that he can't use the guys albeit the talent levels aren't the best but he can't use them in a way that makes other people successful and I think that's got to be the fundamental aspect of a, of a good offensive coordinator it's just getting a little bit of a tune out of each part of your offense it, it just seems worlds away from that right now you know a couple of instances I just want to make a few quick points uh, all good stuff that you just said I, I think NFL coaches overthink them th themselves you know and almost give opposing defenses a little too much credit because at the end of the day it's not the coaches on the field it's the players on the field and players you know are just very reactionary and they're just going boom 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 so tempo can change a little bit of this too hmm. the, there were instances yesterday where uh chris connelly chris moore boom seam routes crossing routes little uh overs and unders that they were running i mean my gosh they were flashing wide open and mills found you know uh, Conley and more. It's like boom, boom. It's like, hey, here we go. This is the stuff that he was hitting Collins on, you know, last week. You know, on those little seam routes. Let's go run, boom, run seam to seam and try to take that high safety. And you flash open in the middle of the field. You don't need a lot of time to throw those guys open because they're literally supposed to flash open in between the hashes, um, which happened a couple of times yesterday. And it depends, you know, if you're running from the numbers, you know, a seam route through the hash generally you're you couldn't flash open between the numbers and the hash and depending on where his progressions are maybe in between the hashes again so i just think there's some opportunities for mills to look at some of those guys but you can't be afraid to go back to the well if the play works for you and i think you know yes i put myself in that situation and i've been a play caller very lower levels you know high school and middle school football and stuff but you're overthinking yourself it's like well i just ran this play and i got this one that'll do the same thing and i want to see what that looks like and if i do run the same play then they're going to know that and i don't really have anything to go off of that you start overthinking things 
you, you mentioned two two things in particular. I think it was third and one situation yesterday with Damian Pierce. The Texans allowed nine defenders in the box. When you're telling a defense like, hey, here's what we're going to do, and you're going to bring an eighth and a ninth guy in the box, your chances aren't going to be good. I don't care if you've got Damian Pierce or Walter Payton as your running back. It doesn't matter. Like, somebody's going to make a play, and it's probably not going to be your running back. The Texans did that so many times last week, dude, where I, I felt like they became so predictable. You bring an extra defender in the box just because you had a little success on it before, well, it was a different situation. I'll take nine guys in the box, three guys in the box, and I need two yards on a second and two versus – and he's six yards on a third and six. You can't spread things out. If you're going to tell the defense, like, hey, we're going to run right here, at least spread things out so you can give the most athletic player on your offense an opportunity to make a guy miss, put his head down, and go run through somebody. And I don't think Pep fully trusts his players, and I also don't think he really trusts his ability to call plays in certain situations. I think, I think the wheel's spinning up there, but it's going at an incredibly fast rate. And I just, I think he's just not figured it out yet. If that makes sense. You think about it. He hasn't been an offensive coordinator since his days at Indianapolis. These things, it's repetition. It's a, it's a pulse and he hasn't had it. Lovey Smith, same thing. He hasn't coached the defense uh, in seven years at the NFL level from the perch of head coach. It takes time. It's repetition, but it also comes down to the players and knowing when and who and who not to trust in terms of your skill set, guys. Yeah, and I mean, there was end of the first half. They got they get the ball back, um, and I think it was 148 on the clock. I think they had two timeouts, and all three plays, at least two or three of the routes are short, in-cut, three, four yards, in-cuts, when you're trying to get down the field, when the clock's ticking. Um, and it just felt like the situational awareness or the situational preparedness of the playbook in those situations just doesn't look like it's there. It's cert- unless it's a case of they're, they're scared to turn the ball over, but you know we've done that now. We've ripped the Band-Aid off of that. We've made some terrible turns. You've literally given the game away in the worst possible style against a team who are not good. Um, but I think it was it just looked like at times Pep's just not ready to call those plays at the moment. And whether that's confidence in your pl- in his players, like you said, if that's confidence in the matchups, whether that's confidence in himself, um, or just not being ready and organised. I don't know, but it just it just is a sorry mess with a quarterback doesn't look confident. I don't know if that thumb injury is you know causing him issues on. In terms of holding and releasing the ball because his accuracy and his awareness of the field is so down. Um, I don't think the line's particularly bad. I think ultimately in this level, like you know, if you take one sack in a game, I think it's pretty you know, it's good living um, as you know in the grander scale of things. So there, there there just seems a lot here in this offense. How do they fix it, how, Sean? How do you what 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 are the steps they can take to try and fix it, make it more serviceable? When you're in these tight games, um, you've got a chance of perhaps getting something from them that we've not done the first three weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good question. And you you don't want all of these things that we're talking about to really be invalid, okay, at the end of the day. Like, there are, there's a lot of complaints that we have. There's a lot of criticisms that we have. But are they <clears throat> are they valid ones? That, that's, that's what I always think about is, well, should we really expect this staff – these players to be able to do this, to be able to do that, to be able to make those adjustments. I think the first three weeks, if they've told you anything is that you've got the guys on this team, whether they're young or old that have the grit and have the want to go back and listen to what Roy Lopez, you mentioned him earlier. Go look at his commentary after the game yesterday. You know, he, he said, Hey, he figured out yesterday, you really have to want it for 60 minutes and probably more than that, you know, to win in this league. And his comments, you listen to him or you read them, pretty telling. Like, hey, here's a second year guy. And then go listen to what Jerry Hughes said. 
here's a 13-year veteran. These guys all want to win and believe that they should be winning. They very well could be 3-0 and if this, that, or the other thing happened. And my gosh, can you imagine... Can you imagine the storyline if the Houston Texans were 3-0 and entering week four against the Chargers? Incredible stuff, okay? And that's what the veterans are looking at. They know how wild and wacky the NFL is every single season within the first month because nobody knows who anybody is. You figure it out after five, six games. So what, what can the Texans do to correct some of these things? Continue to play because they've got the veterans that if they're healthy, they're going to help these young guys win and not just win games. You have to win plays. That's what's really being forgotten because, at, you know, the theme was the first couple of weeks from the coaches, the players, man, we, we don't know how to finish. We got to learn how to finish. These guys don't know how to win yet. We got to figure out how to win. Forget the games, okay? Because sometimes you do need a special guy, a quarterback, to go help you win a game that you're not supposed to win. And the Texans don't have that guy right now. They ain't figured out how to win a game with Davis Mills as their quarterback in a late-game situation. They're doing all of the things necessary to give them a chance that you need something special to finish. Now the defense has got to figure out a way to score the football. Lovey Smith has talked about that he might be right. The wisdom of a guy. I mean, go figure, right? He needs his defense to score the football because if they do in a couple of these instances over the last three weeks, we're probably talking about changing the complexion of a ball game, the stealing momentum, you know, holding on to it, you know, stiff arming an offense. If Petrie's able to boom, take one to the house and give you a pick six, those are the things that could help you sneak and steal a ball game away but winning certain plays continuing to have your veterans buy in and just chase that carrot that's in front of them and let the young guys and the rookies follow that's what's going to change and that's what's going to to kind of help this team grow because all of these criticisms some of them i don't think are valid in regards to Mills. some of them i don't think are valid in regards to pep hamilton because i don't think they belong together I think it just kind of is what it is, and they're trying to make the best of it. But I will say this. They've got some guys on both sides of the football that are going to be a part of a winning football team in the city of Houston in the next two or three years. And I, I, I might, I'm talking about Steven Nelson, if they decide to pay him, because he's certainly looking like a guy they should be looking at paying if they're going to be competitive next year and the year after. Derek Stingley's going to be here a while. Jalen Petrie is going to be here a while. Um, you know, you look at um, some of your, your offensive line. AJ Can might not be here for a very long time. Um, you're, you're still going to need a center, but I like what Scott Questenberry's done. Laramie Tunstall, if you want him to be, he's going to be here for a little while. Uh, Kenyon Green, going to be here for a little while. There are some pieces in all areas. Uh, Christian Kirksey, Jonathan Grenard. Um, Kurt Heinisch might end up in, in a couple of three years being one of the coolest stories in the NFL for a massive disruptor up the middle because I think he's got the tools to do that and the want to to do that along with Roy Lopez too um, but everybody else some, just another guys and some journeymen that are going to help take those young guys and get them to the point that you need them to be at to continue to grow so that, that's kind of what I'm looking at um, that that should be and is valid to get this Texans team better and focused and headed in the right direction. Yeah, and we'll certainly continue to see that evaluation of these guys throughout. But in terms of, like, for example, the Casario's first draft class, within the current climate of the first three mm-hmm. weeks, you know, if you had a case of Mills was slinging it to both Nico and Brevin, uh, Wallows out there making special team tackles, etc., the complexion of that draft class, and I think it's a three-year evaluation before you kind of get a full handle on it, but certainly the complexion of that draft class certainly doesn't look as strong as the immediate one. Um, and I was having this conversation last night, Sean watching the game, and one of my friends watched it, he's not a big fan of Casario, um, never has been, and his point to me was, well, tell me a position. 
that we won't have to draft at least twice in the next two years if we want to improve it. And I thought it was a really good point because, you know, if you if you count guard, maybe perhaps. Um, but, you know, if you think corner, you need three or four guys. Um, tackle, we're probably going to need at least one or two guys. I don't think, you know, Titus has been a big disappointment this year. Um, and he said that to me and he said, because his, his point was that I don't think he doesn't think his has done a good job. And I'm, I don't think he's done a good job with salary cap. I think the talent management acquisition will find its way. Free agency is what it is. Um, next year's not going to be a big free agency year until the cap resets itself properly in 2024. We've actually got requisite space, not just trying to fill the roster. Um, but that was a good point I thought he made. He said, tell me a position that we're not going to have to draft high at least twice in the next couple of years if we're going to get it to a level that's you know that's the, the, the top end of competitiveness. That's a really good that's a really good discussion um, and and an interesting way to look at it. But you know, corner, uh, you're probably going to need to do that, and um, it, it just kind of depends uh, on what you're going to get out of those guys, injury history, um, but the fact that there are so many of them. Drafting it high shouldn't necessarily be looked at like a, a bad thing, uh, because if you're drafting uh, tackles and corners and uh, well, pass rushers, you know those are guys you'd kind of like to hold on to and you know have in your in your pocket and your arsenal already. But that's that's probably very likely because some of your best ones right now are aged veterans. Um, and, and guys that you're just trying to, they're like lemons and you're trying to squeeze every ounce of juice out of them possible that they have left. So yeah, you're probably going to have to do that. But we're, what about, you know, beyond this upcoming draft? Okay. You should be able to, to get, let's say two drafts. You should be able to get those guys, quarterback, another running back, edge rushers, um, maybe another safety uh, in a corner pretty high and you have some draft picks and the draft capital to be able to do that. If you need to uh, stockpile some picks, you know, get a number of sixes and a number of fours and two ones next year, certainly the draft is yours. And I do trust Casario in terms of being able to manipulate what he, what he has, the amount of cash he has going into the grocery store and the amount of groceries that he's able to come out with. Um, I think he's been frugal is the wrong word but efficient at spending his money, if you will, whether you're talking about draft capital, just making certain decisions. I like the draft the last couple of years, and I think um, he certainly has infused confidence into a front office that is so desperately, desperately lost credibility and respect um, for a long time with this Houston Texans organization. It just hasn't been there. And I'm talking, you know, before the, Jack Easterby thing and Cal McNair taking over, you know, after his dad's passing. I mean, this goes even back when you had Rick Smith in his heyday as general manager for the Texans. It, there's just been a lot of issues. And I think the Texans are starting to turn a corner. And so that's that's the most important thing because it needs its fan base back. You've got to try to find a way to to reel them in, and if playing competitive games when you're not supposed to is 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 a way to do that, fine. But they're not doing it this year. More people in Houston are looking at losing and acquiring more draft picks. They really don't care about the season in terms of wins or losses this year. More so, the losses than wins and. I always hate that mentality as, as an NFL fan because I want to see competitive football. I want to see the guys that, you know, are playing winning football that don't know how to win yet as a team that are here. I want to see guys like Jalen Petrie. I want to see guys like Kurt Heinisch and Roy Lopez um, and Derek Stingley and Steven Nelson and Jonathan Owens, those guys that are making plays, Christian Kirksey, Jonathan Grenard, guys that are in year two, three, four, five, and six that, that, that could be a part of something special here, be here and succeed. And those are the guys that you're, you're really wanting to latch on to. In the NFL, it's tough. It's like, ah, get us more draft choices, more draft. Well, you got to hit on those guys. And, so I think it's going to take a couple of years, to be quite honest with you, before you get that fandom back, before you get that respect back, before you're able to realize 
what this organization can become again. Yeah, I think so. I think it just perhaps puts out a bit of a a, a, a new complexion on what Casario's done to this point. Um, when you see it kind of unraveling, because I think if you if you have from that previous draft class, albeit it was small, albeit it was later round picks, uh, but you know if you can hit on one or two of those guys, it starts to build the foundations and the formations of a roster that you know these next two classes will will fill out in a way that hopefully they can be competitive. But I mean, there's there's a long way to go. I think if you do see anything between now and the end of the season, it's just getting the best assessment of what you have in these two draft classes and the, the, the vet guys will come and go as I said I don't think there's many of them that will be here I don't think there's many you'll pay I don't think there's many that other teams will pay um, like the Justin Britt deal for example who was out bidding them on that I don't know um, fully guaranteed to the end of the year when the guy was already gone so you know I think there's there's been a lot of misgivings and a lot of kind of short term one two year deals here and there uh, but perhaps situation circumstance have dictated that but from my point of view, Sean, hopefully as we go in the rest of these games, you want to just try and see the development of those guys in a way that is perhaps not as disastrous as your quarterback throwing an interception in the fourth quarter and giving them a chip field goal to win it. And I think that's the that's perhaps where it leaves the sour taste. But as you said, I think you're spot on being competitive, this team being competitive and against teams that probably had no right to against a, a team that beat the Chiefs yesterday in Indianapolis. Um, you know, and a team that what that that uh, that we'll, we'll play in a couple of weeks in the Jags. Um, going to play the Chargers this this weekend, um, which will be a good barometer because they don't travel well. So that's a good barometer of how many fans you actually have. But certainly they've not been necessarily going on all cylinders as we maybe thought they would have been. They were, their only win to date was against the Raiders, who we play after the bye, um, who are currently the only team beat us in the draft order as winless. But what are your expectations for the Chargers in terms of? them coming in here. Obviously, Justin Herbert and everybody wanted to remind everybody that Mills beat him last year, carrying a bit of a rib injury. He's, to me, what when you see a guy throw a ball, it just looks effortless and it zips him with a level of accuracy that's that makes you sit up in your seat. Um, he wasn't necessarily all that there last year um, and they seem to underachieve. But what, what what do you think? The Certainly, it's a game that they'll need to bounce back um, if they can get everything right. Um, but... What's your expectations going into to the fourth week of this season, uh, with hopefully a, a bit um, with some learnings and some improvements from the Texans? Everybody else is going to improve too. Good teams or that are supposed to be good teams, um, if they're healthy, they are who they're going to be. You know, <clears throat> through the first four, five, six weeks of the season, that's when you really that that is that that middle stage of you could kind of go either way and it's very dictated upon uh health of your roster and players taking the next step and young players taking the next step. Look at Justin Herbert is, is healthy. Um, he's a really good quarterback and he's going to be a really good quarterback for a very long time. Um, he's also a guy though, that I think needs a, a pretty solid run game to succeed. Um, because, He's not somebody you want throwing the football 45 times uh, a, a game. You just you don't really want any quarterback to, to do that. Um, Peyton Manning, maybe, okay? Uh, you know, uh, there, there are some great quarterbacks over the years that I wouldn't mind seeing that from, but I, I expect the Chargers to be a good football team this year. That, that's, that's a well-built roster, I think. Um, they've got a lot of talent across the board on both sides of the football. I think they're good. I don't think... It's it's fair to say that, you know, they're going to be a disappointment just based off of the first couple of weeks of the season and some plays here and some games there and just looking disastrous in week three. I also don't think it's fair to say that the Texans, man, they're that close. Okay, yeah, they played some competitive games. They've had a chance to go down and win. They could be 3-0. and Aha. But you don't think that the Chargers are going to be a little bit of salty? After getting blown to bits, week three against who they who did they lose to? Uh, yes, Jacksonville. Yeah. Jacksonville. There you go. Thirty-eight to ten. Thirty-eight to ten. Are you serious right now? That's not who that team is. That is not who that team is. They're going to be a little bit salty uh, when they play the Houston Texans, and they're not going to be trying to hear, uh, "Oh, hey, you know this this is going to be a competitive game because look what the Texans have done the first no." They're going to be looking to, as who said this, Dan Campbell, 
head coach of the Detroit Lions, bite your kneecaps off. They're going to be trying to absolute maul the Houston Texans in week four. So if, if I'm the Texans, you're just trying to figure out a way to play good, clean football. And that's how I'm looking at this uh, Chargers game coming up. You got to play clean football. You can't turn the football over. And that's where I really worry about Pep Hamilton and Davis Mills. Like, oh my gosh, after two interceptions, which are both kind of funky, tipped balls, def- well defensed passes, they went for picks. They very easily could not have gone for interceptions, rather just um, poor decisions and incompletions in those particular times, is what you could really have dumbed those down to at the end of the day. But my gosh, how much more is Pep Hamilton going to try to protect Davis Mills? That's my biggest concern against the Chargers because I know the Chargers are good, and I know they're that close. They're that far away from uh, a, a, a trying to play it too safe if you're the Houston Texans and then making you pay, You know, whether it be a physical play defensively, um, an interception here or there, just pulling off a big play against the Texans' putrid run defense. Um, those are things that good teams, teams that are looking to prove themselves. What do the Texans have to prove? What do they have to prove. They know people expect them to be bad. So, zero and three, zero two and one it doesn't matter. So, I look at a Chargers team, and they're like, "We're expected to be good, and it's time for us to show up or show out or get out." And I think the Chargers are going to come in hungry, and I think the Texans have got to figure out a way to treat themselves like they do belong at the same time. Yeah, and I think he's a great barometer. I think they've certainly got star power, and I think you know for Stingley to go up against a guy like Mike Williams, if you know for uh, Tunsil or you know if Titus Howard is going to awaken the season they're going against Mac and Bosa, you know there's a lot of matchups in there that are against elite competition. And you remember when actually ironically the Texans went to the Chargers when they were playing in whatever the hell that temporary stadium was, the MLS one they played, and that was Titus Howard's first game at right tackle. Um, him. And Mike Sharp had great games against Melvin Ingram um, and Bosa. And it was kind of one of these things that it threw itself up as a bit of a surprise. But it's, it tests yourself against the best and then you can understand where you need to improve. And I think that the Chargers coming into town will certainly give us that, particularly in the passing game. It'll not be as much, as you said, much as running running game as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. And I think it's a, it's a test for the Texans to to reassess, uh, but also put themselves against a team who's generally considered a, a contender in the AFC. So yes. um, there's a lot to be uncovered. Uh, but um, Sean, any last words before we head out of here this week? It's been a bit of a somber occasion when you when you when you cough up a, a loss in the fourth quarter. But uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, just be encouraged because you know this can, this team right now kind of harkens back to. What they were doing, you know, three, four, five, six years ago, they were playing competitive football and you expected them to do just that. Coming into a season in which you know from a fan base is year one, the real year one of a rebuild. This, what happens this year is is going to do a lot of things. Okay. It's going to, you're going to figure out like who's, who, who are some guys you want to keep? What have drafts looked like in the last couple of years for you? Who are some guys you can continue to build with? And who is your quarterback? And I think you're starting to kind of figure that out uh, after the first three weeks. But just be encouraged because you're playing competitively ugly football. Okay? I said to myself after the game yesterday, boy, this team, com- they competitively suck. You know, that, that's kind of how I, I took it. They competitively suck. Like, but then I was like, no, I'm not going to say they suck. Like, because they got some good coaches. They got some good players on both sides of the ball, whatever. And they're playing, for the most part, clean football. The two picks yesterday by Mills, they, they could have gone either way. Incompletions, picks, could have been a touchdown if he throws that ball just a hair sooner to Brandon Cooks in the end zone. And maybe is just doesn't throw to Rex Burkhead at all anymore, which would be nice. But competitively ugly that's how i'll dumb it down competitive you can't complain about this team not being competitive because it doesn't matter how it looks a a team that can muck up a game and make it one for themselves i don't care how they win i don't care how they do that just give me a chance just give me a chance to see a competitive 
game in the fourth quarter. And that's what the Texans are doing. And that's that's something that I'm not going to say I would expect. But if they could do it against a hungry Chargers team, a team that if they're healthy enough to even feel this way, like, hey, man, we have something to prove. And you're not about to make us one and three and get your first one of the season. Oh, no. If they're able to do that, then I really have, um, uh, you know, my expectation level for this team continuing to be competitive, not necessarily good, but competitive going forward um, is just that uh, hope. Well, that said, I think you've got to remember last year we came from a position of complete abject uncompetitiveness, blowouts, team, you know, long periods, almost three quarters in games where the game was done and dusted. So to be in this position, I think, yeah, you've got to take a little bit of stock exactly. Yeah. What Sean said there, and let's look forward to hopefully some more positive outs, more positive outs from our quarterback, more watchable offense. I think we're kind of there where we, we, we think Mills could take us, uh, but you never know, he might surprise you, and that's why you play these games. So, thank you very much to Sean Bajani for his time joining us this week on the Turn Up for What podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, share, like, comment, all that good stuff. If you listen on one of your favorite platforms in the audio version, share it on, do all that kind of good stuff for us as we try to grow this season. Apologies again for missing last week. Still not quite there. The voice isn't quite back to full capacity but we'll keep grinding just as we'll expect the Texans to do and hopefully we'll be back next week to talk a bit more of a positive outcome from the Chargers but thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you again next week